What does it mean to be truly educated? Temple Grandin said, I can remember the frustration of not being able to talk. I knew what I wanted to say, but I could not get the words out. A teacher's primary job is to help students find their own voices, because when we do, we help them become people who engage in the world and, ultimately, make it a better place. Language, socioeconomics, physical, and neurodiversities should not be justification to relegate students to the back of the classroom and remain silent. But how can educators help all students find their voices? Christine Knapper is an English language development teacher at Whitford Middle School in Beaverton, Oregon, and author of the book, A Kid's Book About Disabilities. Christine challenges her students to use technology as a tool to find their voices in order for them to build autonomy and the confidence to engage in the world. She is a TEDx presenter, and you can follow her blog at christinenapper.com. In this episode, I have the pleasure to learn how Christine uses Tequity to engage her students in complex tasks that take them beyond the curriculum. So you have developed this concept called Tequity, and I love the name of that. Um, What is Tequity and how did you come up with this concept? Um, Tequity is about not starting with technology, which I think is often the approach people take to it. Um, A teacher will learn about a new device or a new product and think, oh, how can I use this in my classroom? And then you end up with a very tech-centered classroom, and I still want a very student-centered classroom. Um, so I think the way to go is to start with what is my student's need? You know, what is it, what obstacles might be getting in their way? And then how could technology potentially address those obstacles? Um, otherwise, we are just going to keep getting the same results and um, continuing the same inequities just because we're using new devices doesn't necessarily fix those problems. And I think I've come to this way of thinking very naturally from my own growing up. I have a physical disability myself. Um, I use a power wheelchair I have all my life. And that means that I have a lot of devices and buttons and doodads in my life and have become a very creative problem solver, finding ways that I can do things that aren't easy to do on my own. And people think that's going to make me a very techie person because I have all these gadgets in my life. The opposite is true. (laughs) Um, having all these gadgets means there's always something not working. Something's always broken. So I'm not actually a very techie person. I'm a very pragmatic user of the technology. I look for a need and if I can find tech to solve it, great. But I'm not interested in tech just for the sake of technology. Um, So as far as how I started applying this in the classroom, I mean, in lots of ways, but it became really clear that I needed to make some changes in my class. When I met two kids years ago now, they came in as sixth graders into my intermediate ELD class. Um, They'd been going to school in the United States their entire lives. They were still in intermediate ELD. They had some of the most extreme cases of dyslexia I'd seen at that point in my career. They'd both been getting special ed services and ELD services their whole lives and continued to read and write at a kindergarten level, maybe first grade on a good Mm -hmm. day. 
And they were so much fun to have in the classroom because as long as things were verbal, whether it was class discussion, you know, watching or discussing a video, if I read something out loud, they were such eager participants. They were seeking, soaking in the learning. They were making great connections and offering ideas and insight. And they were class leaders and they were some amazing students until it turned to something it was reading or a writing task. And then they would both just sink down in their chairs like they were trying to disappear. They had no tools to access that reading or writing, despite years and years of reading intervention. The only way they could function was if I sat down with them individually and would read everything out loud and let them dictate the responses and I'd write it down as a scribe for them. And that had been their strategy you know, from kindergarten on up. Mm-hmm. And that's not a sustainable way to live life. Yeah, you don't get anybody following you around in the world, playing scribe for you and reading out loud to you. Like, this is not sustainable. So I very quickly started thinking, well, what kind of technology out there might be able to do what I'm doing? Because I can't sit with them all day. I have a class full of students that need me. There's got to be some technology here in the 21st century that can take that job for me. And it seems obvious. It seems like Once I started asking that question, Mm -hmm. I should be able to access an answer pretty quickly. Um, I could see that I needed some sort of technology that would read for them and let them dictate a response and write for them. Mm -hmm. I went to every person I could find in the school and in the district that seemed like the person who provide that support, who could connect me with the right resources. I couldn't get support anywhere. Mm -hmm. I mean, it was a really bad budget time. So there were less people in those positions than there normally would have been. But everybody I talked to would either kind of brush me aside or tell me, that's a great idea. Someone should do that. (laughs) Yeah, that was helpful. So I'm sorry to say that I ended up wasting most of their sixth grade year trying to find somebody who would provide support. And by the time it was, you know, the end of the year, I was finally realizing if anybody was going to provide support, it was going to have to be me. Because nobody else was stepping up. And fortunately, as the ELD teacher, I would likely have them for another year or two years. So I started just launching into my own research, figuring out what devices would be best, what apps would be best. We spent this their seventh grade year on this incredible learning journey together, where I would be Googling things at night and coming up with ideas. And I'd come in the next day all excited with, oh, I have a new thing to try. Let's try this out. And the kids are great sports about trying it all out with me. And we found lots of things that didn't work and we found things that did work and different strategies. And I will never forget the first time that I was able to just step back and watch them all by themselves, you know, with a device, read an assignment, respond to the questions, completely do a reading and writing task without a human there doing it for them, helping spoon feeding them. It Mm. was an incredible moment. It was inspiring and exciting and heartbreaking because this shouldn't be happening for the first time in seventh grade. We owe our kids a better education than that. So at the same time, as I was starting to make progress with these kids and realizing, you know, what's out there and how this can open some doors, I started thinking more creatively for my other students and thinking about ways it can meet other needs in my classroom. Um, For example, I had a sixth grade girl that next year who had been in the United States for, I want to say, about three years. And her verbal English had made huge strides in that time. You know, she could have a conversation with you pretty fluently. Um, but her reading was still at like ground zero. Um, her first language is Arabic. And she was well-educated in Arabic. But of course, it's a different alphabet. 
So the right. reading process is very different for her than for somebody coming from a language with the same alphabet. And so her strategy all day was to stick right by my side like glue and ask me how to spell every single word that she wrote down, which for one thing drove me crazy. And it wasn't even really going to help her. What she needed was hours of practice time reading. You know, we all have been getting right. since kindergarten on up. But who has time to sit there and read with her one-on-one -on -one all day? I could hand her a book, but she couldn't do it independently. So I started getting, um, introducing some of these same technology tools to her so that a device would read out loud and highlight the words and she's then being able to follow and be a little bit more independent. And she just took off. You know, through sixth mm. grade, she used these tools very, very regularly. In seventh grade, she still used them a little bit. By eighth grade, she didn't need them anymore. She pretty much stopped using them altogether. Like she pretty much caught up with her peers. It was beautiful to see. So, and eventually right. I stopped doing these little one by one, putting out a fire here, putting out a fire there and started using a lot of the same technology with my full classes. I just introduced these tools to them during the first week of school. You know, was these are some things you can use in the class, use them as you choose, as you prefer. And then it's not special. It's not making a student feel different mm -hmm. if they use a different tool than the kid next to them. It's just a choice that's available to everybody and has really changed the way that I do things in my classroom. Wow. That, you know, that sounds fantastic. As a um, father, like I have two boys who are on the autism spectrum mm -hmm. and um, my oldest has done very well as, as far as accessing um, his education, but my youngest struggled. He has something called dyspraxia, mm -hmm. which uh, doesn't allow him to be able to use those fine motor skills very well. And so his writing has always been, nobody mm -hmm. can read it. Nobody's ever been able mm -hmm. to, I, he can't even. Right. And so using tools, those types of tools has really empowered him as an educated uh, student uh, because he is brilliant. But yeah, I, I just see that we need more access and we have the tools. Yeah. Well, that's the thing is we live in a world now where the technology is so much more available. You know, even for families in poverty, they still right. generally have a phone and you can walk not too far from your house and get Wi-Fi if you don't have it at home. I mean, access right. isn't perfect, but it's a lot better than it was even 10 or 20 years ago. And so we need to be using them in different ways and be a little more creative there. And I kept thinking with these kids that I had in my classroom, you know, if they came from a middle-class family, their parents would have done this research and been demanding these things a long time ago. But right. they came from an immigrant family whose parents are wonderful and supportive and love their kid more than anything and have made all these sacrifices so that they can have an education and they don't know what to ask for. They're just trusting us at school that we're giving their kids the very best that we can. And I feel that responsibility on my shoulders that I should deserve that trust. Yeah. So obviously you kind of touched on this, but wh you know, why is it important for educators to implement more tequity as part of the curriculum? How does it empower our students? I mean, I think tequity is important for the same reason equity is important. I think it should be at the core of everything we do in our classroom. You know, it's all about meeting our students' needs and giving them access. Yeah. I stop and I think about what happens when our students don't get their needs met. And, you know, every teacher has seen kids who aren't getting their needs met. Um, some of them are just sitting around waiting all day for somebody to come and sit with them one-on-one. -on -one, and that's their only productive time is when they're one-on-one. -on -one. Um, kids sit there trying to be invisible. Kids act out and become behavior problems. By high school, they end up dropping out. Mm -hmm. You know, it's all that time 
while other kids are learning, their time's being wasted and they're coming up with a story in their head to explain it. Because most kids aren't able to say, well, I have, I have dyslexia, for example, and I have a different learning need and I need a different tool to access. But the story they say is I'm dumb or I'm lazy. Mm-hmm. And that becomes how they see themselves. And we owe our kids so much better than that. You know, it's just a matter of access. It's not about them not being smart enough. It's them having a doorway that is open for them to get into the learning. And I think it's also really important to start that early. You know, like I said, having these kids finally do an assignment for the first time on their own in the seventh grade, that's way too late. It's not like it was then magic where they were just caught up overnight. You know, they now had to go back and learn those skills that other kids have been practicing for the last seven years of their lives. And I think there's a lot of fear from teachers that if they, and I'm focusing on literacy um, here because that's what I see as a big obstacle for a lot of my kids. But I think there's a big fear that if you have this technology assisting you with reading and or writing, that well, how will the kids ever learn? How will they ever do it without the technology? And I see that fear and I think that stops them from intervening earlier. But what I've seen from kids is that once I start putting these supports in place, often their reliance on the technology fades naturally. You know, they're using their learning time to actually interact with text during the day. They aren't avoiding learning. They aren't hiding from it. Um, They're actually interacting with text. So over time, they don't need it as much more often than not. And if they do end up needing it forever, well, then let's provide it. Yeah. Well, it's not a not going to disadvantage them for the rest of their life to be using tools to help them understand. I mean, heck, um, how many times a day do I ask Siri to help me with something? Exactly. Um, we all have it in our pockets. Right. Like if that's what they need, then let's teach them how to use it. Yes. Um, so how has the use of Tequity, uh, how can it be used to help create better access for students? Uh, how has this impacted student learning and, and created more autonomy for our students and more ownership of, of their learning? Mm-hmm. I like to use the word autonomy because I feel like that's one of the biggest changes I've seen in my classroom. Um, I tend to have students who come into my room with a lot of you know, learned helplessness where they're very used to just sitting and waiting for someone to tell them exactly what to do and solve the problems for them. Um, Whereas now that I've started out my school year every year, showing them these tools that they all have available to them. For example, I have a toolbar that the students have where they have text-to-speech and speech-to-text. They have a picture dictionary. They have a dictionary. They have a translator. They have all these tools right in front of them that can help them with things like how do I spell this word? Or what does this complicated phrase mean? Mm-hmm. They don't have to sit and wait for a teacher. They can solve the problem themselves. Um, in fact, I will not answer our question until they can show me that they have tried a strategy or two on their own. Right. So they're able to become more independent and self-sufficient. And more than anything, it's really raised a level of rigor in my classroom. Um, people think that an ELD class where my students are newer to English that I'm probably, you know, quote unquote, dumbing it down for them, coming up with simple materials. And I don't at all. I prefer to give my students grade level or at least very close to grade level materials. And we might slow it down a little so that they have time to really dig in and work through the complicated stuff. But we don't dumb it down. Um, When I present on this, I like to show people, you know, the classic image of the Bloom's Pyramid, where you have the 
thinking and understanding and comprehension, basic levels of thinking at the bottom of the pyramid, and then the more analytical evaluation and the higher level thinking at the top. My students often get so stuck in those first levels, just trying to access the text and understand what it's saying, that they don't often have much time left in their school day for the high level thinking at the top. And that's not fair to them. You know, all students no. need access to that sort of deep thinking and rigor um, and putting some technology with in front of them that they can get past those first hurdles. They're able to access the understanding so much simpler and then move on and have the deeper thinking and the deeper conversations. And, you know, I focus, like I said, on literacy because it's such a large obstacle, but I've also been able to use Techwitty to help with other obstacles that kids have in the classroom. Um, I had one student who was a smart kid, but was considered a pretty low achiever across the board academically. He was struggling in all of his classes. And as I got to know him better, I could see it was a major attention issue. Um, He would sit there in class very quietly. He's not bothering anyone. He has his eyes on the teacher. He looks like he's doing what he's supposed to be doing, but his mind is a million miles away. And so I started just saying his name really regularly. He wasn't in trouble. And he knew that I you know, made it very clear to him. He wasn't upset with him. I was calling his attention back and I would do it every couple of minutes, just say his name and call his attention back. And he appreciated it because he started performing better. You know, when he un- heard the instruction, he was paying attention. He was then able to actually do the learning activity and was able to perform better and participate more meaningfully. But again, you can't just have a person follow you around doing that all day. No. So my question was the same question. How, what kind of technology can I find to take the job I'm doing? And I ended up finding this little um, interval timer like somebody might use for exercise and their like personal workouts. And I let him set it to just vibrate silently every, however many often he wanted, you know, every two minutes, it would just vibrate once in his pocket. And that was his little reminder to check in with himself. Am I paying attention? Am I on task? And he loved it. Like suddenly he didn't need be holding his hand. He was able to pay attention. He was able to understand. He was able to participate meaningfully in class. And it was such a simple and easy thing. Mm. You know, I want to go back to something you said a little while ago, mm-hmm. talking about rigor. Mm. And, you know, there's this notion of faux rigor that the more I give kids, the more rigorous it is. Right. But a lot of that is that you mentioned the Bloom's taxonomy. It's almost always lower blooms that they're doing. And so I think that when you challenge them with the higher blooms task, yes, they need to be able to do the lower blooms. But if the goal is to be able to do those higher blooms to evaluate or to uh, create, then it puts the onus on me, the learner, to go and understand the lower blooms so that I can do it. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of what I'm hearing from you is that by challenging your students, with those upper blooms taxonomy, then it drives them to want to do those lower blooms on their own. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. You know, I think one of the things I love most about teaching ELD is that it's a subject where I don't have to hit as many different topics in a year. I can choose to prioritize depth over breadth. And so mm-hmm. I can take one topic or even one text and I can spend some time on it, letting kids dive deep. And, you know, do those analytical tasks and spend some time really struggling with it and wrestling with it and thinking deep and having discussions. It isn't just hurry up and read this and then read that and then read that. And yeah, I think spending more time on one thing 
and being able to dig deeper. It's not about checking off 8 million different tasks. Take a couple tasks and really spend time doing them well. Right. Now, I'd like to get a little bit more from you. Um, Could you provide some examples of how you apply Tequity in your classroom? Obviously, you mentioned a couple, Mm -hmm. um, but if you could like design, say, like a lesson plan, like you mentioned, these are now tools that are kind of open to everybody. Could you be a little bit more specific and kind of walk me through that? Um, Yeah. So I can tell you about one of my favorite units that I teach um, every couple of years. I love teaching the career unit. Um, And I've used a lot of technology kind of sprinkled throughout that. My students, like I've said, come from, you know, mostly backgrounds in poverty. So their experiences of what jobs and careers are available in the world tend to be pretty limited. Just economically, they haven't seen or experienced a lot. And it's hard to dream about a future that you haven't seen. Um, So when I started designing my career unit, I knew that I really wanted to bring in a lot of guest speakers. Um, So the kids could hear about jobs and career paths that they might not even know exist that are out there in the Mm -hmm. world. And so as much as possible, I bring in local people into my classroom. They can come and talk to the kids one-on-one, or not one-on-one, but um, they're in person. And that's wonderful. But I also have been able to broaden my field of who's available to talk to my kids by going with some technology again. I opened it up to friends and family and friends of friends and any connections I can make anywhere in the world. And they'll video chat with my students. Oh, cool. And we'll get on FaceTime or Google Hangouts or, you know, now we live in the era of Zoom. And they get to have these guest speakers who are somewhere else in the world. And it actually ends up being really cool besides the fact that it broadens the pool of who's available, but they get to talk to people in their workplace. You know, my kids have talked to people and gotten tours at their office. They've seen some of those very, you know, millennial friendly offices where there's beanbag chairs and ping pong tables. Mm -hmm. And they go, this is where you work. You my kids have never seen anything like that before. Neither have I in person. They Skyped with a friend of mine who is a news anchor for a TV station. And she took them on a tour of the news station. So they're like taking these field trips from the classroom. And it's so much fun. While they're doing these chats with their guest speakers and they're asking questions and getting their questions answered and getting that speaking practice, interacting with adults and professionals, um, which for language learners is really important. Um, And they have them taking sketch notes during the whole experience. So they're not worried too much about the language of writing things down. They can put words in where they choose. They can do drawings. They can do doodles. But they're making some sort of visual record to remind them later what they've been learning. Mm-hmm. Um, and after we do a few of these guest speakers, they now have a stack of notes they can look at and they have them pick one that they want to develop more fully. And now they get onto their Chromebook and are able to, as much or as little as they choose, use technology to help them write up a summary of what they learned from that guest speaker about what their career is and that sort of thing. Um, some students will use voice dictation where they have, will get their thoughts out on the screen and just by talking into the microphone. And then they'll go back and they'll edit and make the writing look nicer. But it helps them just to get their thoughts out verbally and have something to work with. A lot of my kids will use word prediction because they get so stuck on spelling. Mm-hmm. A writing task can take kids forever because they worry so much about spelling things the right way, which is not the most important part of writing. It's arguably the least important part of writing. 
So they're able to turn on just the word prediction when they get to a difficult word and, you know, figure it out and move on without having to sit there and raise their hand and wait to get my attention. Um, They're able to then also use the text-to-speech to listen back to what they've written to see if it sounds the way they want it to sound and helps them edit that way. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's one aspect of my unit. And then at the same time, I also have them researching careers that they're interested in. So we go through a series of exercises to help kids narrow down one career that they're going to um, research. And they go online and they're reading websites that are usually geared more for like a 17, 18 year old audience. You know, students are about to head off into college. My kids are 11 to 13. Mm-hmm. So it's not writing that's meant for them. But again, with the use of text speech and things like tools like that, they're able to access a higher level of writing than what they would be able to read on their own independently. Mm. So they take all this research they've done. And at the end of the unit, I want them to create a presentation so that they can share with the class about their career that they've researched. And we've all seen students give presentations where they get up in front of the class and they're awkward and they're shy and they're nervous and they rush through it as fast as they can. And they're not really doing their best speaking. They're just trying to get it over with. And my students, again, are language learners. I want them to be practicing their best speaking. So I've started having them create a visual or two on a device and then record themselves giving their presentation over it. So they can, you know, sit in the corner of the room by themselves and practice and work on recording their presentation. And I get such a better product because the students are listening back to their recordings and re-recording, figuring out how to make it sound better. You know, they're really editing and going through what we usually think of as the writing process, but they're doing it verbally. And how often do students actually stop and listen to themselves to hear how they sound? It's actually really great for their language development. Um, we give those presentations and we play the video for the class. And I do have them then, after playing their video, stand in front of the class and answer questions. So they still have that experience of being in front of their peers and um, having that back and forth. Hmm. I like that. I like that. Um, one of the things I've gotten away from doing the formal in-class presentations myself. Mm-hmm. Um, but what I've been doing is, and I love this idea of having them create videos, and I may start incorporating that because I love that idea. Mm-hmm. But I've been doing small table group presentations where, you know, groups of four or five, you know, just kind of go around in a circle and present, and then we rotate tables around, and they have to give the presentation three or four times in a period. Oh, that's yeah. cool. And, and it, then they're practicing their speeches over and over again. And by the time they've given it three mm-hmm. or fourth, you know, the third or fourth time, they, they, they're owning it and they're getting questions, but they're doing it in such a small group that it's less intimidating. They get to pick their first group and then I rotate them around. So they're more and more comfortable as it goes. Oh, I like yeah, that. And- I've done a less formal version of that when I have students like brainstorming, getting ready to write. Mm-hmm. I'll have them sit with one partner and talk about what they're planning to write and then go talk to another partner about the same thing. And they repeat that like three different times. So that by the time they've talked through it with three different people, it's flowing much more easily and much more naturally. They develop those thoughts. They sit down to write and they don't have that long, awkward, I don't know what's right. Like they are ready to go. Yeah, and I think I may follow that up with a video afterwards. Cause I love that idea of, you know, having them present a few times and then create a video using mm-hmm. that presentation. That's fantastic. Yeah. So what are some of the best resources that you found that listeners could uh, tap into? Yeah. I mean, like I said, I would always start with 
just Googling what the need is. Let's start with that. Um, but I can tell you some of the products I found that I love. My absolute favorite that I use practically every day in my classroom is called Read and Write. It's by a company called TextHelp. Um, mm-hmm. Read and Write is just a toolbar that has all these different text-to-speech, speech-to-text, word predictions, picture dictionaries. That's what I introduced to my kids from the first week of school and let them know that these are ways you can be independent. You can work without having a teacher hold your hand. Love their products. I don't know why they aren't paying me yet. I promote their products all the time. Um, I have less experience with the Don Johnston products, but they do very similar things. Um, They have something called Snap and Read. They have something called Co-Writer. If your school district is investing in either Text Helps products or Don Johnston, I think they're both fantastic. And the one that I used for having students record their voices over presentations is an app called Adobe Spark. Hmm. I like it because it lets them give long presentations but broken up into chunks. Um, So they can do just a couple of sentences on one visual and then move on to the next visual and do another recording. And that makes it a little Hmm. more bite-sized so they aren't having to do the whole thing at once. Yeah, I've had a lot of success with that app as well. So those are just a couple of my favorites. Each time a child feels heard, it builds their confidence. Our learners just need someone who is willing to listen because true confidence comes from knowing one has a message that matters. Technology can help someone find their voice. However, technology is not a replacement for a relationship. And because of this, it is important for teachers to help learners know when it is appropriate to use the tools and when it is time to turn them off. For more information about Christine, visit beyondthecurriculumpodcast.com and check out the show notes. If you enjoyed this program, be sure to hit the subscribe button as you will want to catch each and every episode. And remember to leave a rating and review. I appreciate your support and it helps others find the show. I'd like to encourage you to partner with me through my Patreon page. Your support will help offset the cost of producing this podcast and bring more meaningful opportunities that take learners beyond the curriculum. Thank you.